A lot of people I hear, when are you coming home? And I think it's kind of an archaic thing to ask people. And I'm actually, it's, it's one of the only things that, that kind of offend me. When are you coming home? You know, I, I've got a house here. Uh, I've got my chicks and my girlfriend. We, you know, we've been together almost, almost four years. And I've got, I've got two dogs. I mean, this is my home. And um, I'm proud to be an expat that lives in Thailand. This is Up in the Air, a show about travel adventures, frequent flying, and the unique experiences we have along the way. I'm Ian Grimis, and in this episode, I spoke with Justin Ross Lee about his infamous approach to luxury travel, moving his life to Thailand, and jujetting. Do you think you're good at maximizing your airline and credit card travel perks? Do you feel like you get the most from your premium travel experiences? I thought so too, until I met Justin Rossley. Justin coined the term jujetting, partly in jest, to describe a style of traveling which led to him using a first-class lounge and the complimentary drinks and snacks that come with it as his personal office for downing entire bottles of top-shelf alcohol in first-class and for finagling free upgrades into the most luxurious hotel suites. His brash style of travel and living, while offensive to some, has earned him recognition on reality TV and in celebrity social circles. Just Google his name and you'll see what I mean. In 2016, the Manhattan socialite decided he'd make the island paradise of Koh Samui, Thailand, his new home as he waits for quote unquote America to be great again. Despite his brazen persona, I thought he offered a very valuable and entertaining look at the world of jujetting, which I'll let him explain in his own words. Jujetting is is the art of um, of you know carefree flying, right? Um, the art of of never being in the middle seat, the art of lying flat when you travel, and really milking these bullshit airlines for everything they have, because airlines uh, are are just predatory companies, right? How much money are you owed in refunds right now? You know, I that have I, never come through. How many airlines owe you money? I'm going to be interviewing you. <laughs> Two different airlines owe me money right now. Air Canada owes me money and United owes me money. Wow. You're fucked. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I have about six or seven airlines. And man, this is, this is a crazy time, right? It's a really crazy time, especially living in Asia. I, I have my travel booked 11 months out always, right. always. So this is, you know, Clearly, there's, uh, there's more important shit going on in the world, but uh, no one's feeling bad for me stuck on a tropical island. So just a backdrop, I'm, uh, I live on Koh Samui, which is an island off the coast of uh, the Gulf of Thailand, and uh, I've lived here for about four years. And uh, like, fuck America. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to get into that. As you said, you're living yeah, in Thailand. You've lived there for about four years. And what was the, what was the impetus for the move? I was not ready to make America great again. Well, I feel that. So I, yeah, it sounds like you're, you're willing to come back when, whenever that is possible, which we may need a new white house resident for you to make that possible. You know, I'll come back when it's, when it's fixed, you know, I look, I, I've always thought that is ridiculous for people to just live in the country where they were born. What, why is that the best country for you? Uh, you know, especially now with Zoom calls and the fact that most people are working virtually, there's no reason that you have to have so much hometown pride. You know, some people are very patriotic. I love to see the world. I think it's the greatest education you could possibly have is traveling. So some people say, where did you go to school? Um, I don't really care. I, I don't care what somebody does for a living. I care where they've been. Because mm. for me, that's the true sign of intellect and intelligence and worldliness. What, wasn't uh, true 50 years ago. How did you how did you pick Thailand? I didn't choose Thailand. Thailand chose me. You know, it's uh, we're on the Gulf. There's no tsunamis. There's there's no um, earthquakes. It's a it's a spectacular island and it's a true island. Kosamu. It's not like Phuket. You can't drive to it. Mm-hmm. If something's on this island, it came by ship or it came by air. There's no road. Well, there's roads on the island, but you can't but you can't drive here. So it's about two and a half times the size of Manhattan. And it's, you know, if you, if you see my Instagram at Justin Ross Lee, it's spectacularly beautiful. It's very easy for me to capture this island. The work is done for me. 
it's done. Your Instagram is something that cannot be ignored. And uh, so I, I usually have a segment on this podcast that I, I get into a little bit later in these interviews, but I think it's about time we just break into it. And I, it's called Explain That Gram. Uh, Instagram, not, not that gram of coke. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's, right. let's be clear. I mean, let's talk about these photos, man. Your photos are spectacular. And I know you've alluded to this in a couple of posts. You've kind of shown how the sausage is made. But I mean, you have these spectacularly posed photos. And I cannot help but expect that there must be some crazy stories behind that. And so anyway, what I've done is I've gone back through your feed. And uh, I mean, there are so many to choose from, but I picked one from 2017. You and presumably your girlfriend were laying in bed at the Grand Hyatt Hong Kong. And tell me what goes on to get these photos taken. Who the hell takes these photos? You know, the great thing about room service is the tip is included. Okay. And, you know, I close the door behind me. They're not allowed to leave. Look, I, I, you know, uh, that is uh, that is indeed my my secret sauce. But no, there's nobody in the room. And when we're in the bathtub, my girlfriend's naked. There's nobody in the room taking that. Uh, you know, you're a man of technology. You know how shit works. But uh, specifically, I'm not going to tell you how I how I get the shots because that is my secret sauce. But um, no, there's not somebody traveling with me. There's not, you know, an employee from the hotel most often unless they're in the shot. We can, which can be awkward for them. Yeah. But uh, how about like on board? You've got some pretty great shots on board that I, based on just the angle of the shot, I'm assuming are not possible to be set up on a self timer. You just employ the flight attendants for those ones. No, 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 absolutely not. You know, I put flight attendants uh, through enough when I fly. The last thing I need to do, I mean, they're shaking, just dealing with me. Uh, they probably need a drink as well. But, you know, no, I, I don't uh, implore the flight attendants. Uh, they're not the ones taking my photos. Flight attendants don't take great photos. You know, and I'm sure, you know, you you make videos, you're, you're digital guys. I said, it's very difficult to teach somebody what you're looking for. Because it's not about what's in, it's not about you, all right? It's not a driver's license photo. It's about the ambiance. It's about the background. And a flight attendant's not going to understand that. You know, they're not looking, you know, to, to take a great photo of you. They're looking to shut you up and, uh, and get, get through the flight, you know. Um, so, no, I, I don't recommend asking your flight attendant to take 15 photos of you or 25 photos of you. You're going to get shitty service after that. Just ask them for another drink. Yeah. Well, that's the craziest thing for me, too. You know, living in Southeast Asia and I travel to um, to developing countries, I'm going to hand over a $1,200 iPhone to somebody and just say, hey, can you take this photo? <laughs> would you would you hand over $1,200 of cash to somebody in Cambodia? Yeah. And say, by the way, don't run away with this. Now, that's never happened to me. And I, I like to have a little bit more faith in humanity. But hell, look at what's going on in the world. Uh, objectively, it is a ridiculous thing to do, kind of like blowing the candles out on a birthday cake, especially in uh, these days. Speaking of uh, spreading germs, we obviously have the talk of the town, which is coronavirus. When was the last time you flew, by the way? February. So late February. And I flew through Hong Kong. And when, uh, you know... The rest of the world, I saw this time bomb ticking and the rest of the world was thinking this is an Asian thing. This is an Asian disease. And a hundred years ago, that would have been true, except for the tens of thousands of people who fly every day from Asia to America. And um, when I was in Hong Kong, all of these COVID precautions that we're seeing now in Oklahoma and all this shit. They were, it was happening then. This is not so much of a culture shock wow. for me, you know, in Hong Kong specifically. And I flew through Hong Kong from Koh Samui. Uh, we had a direct flight before it was cut uh, because of COVID. But this is something they've been doing for a long time, wearing masks. I hate it. Masks suck. But, uh, you know, it doesn't you can't breathe. It's not great. But then again, any uh, here's my message for somebody not wearing masks. Fuck you. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about everybody else. And I think it's that selflessness that we need in society in order for us just to get through this crap. You know, um, Asians and people that are in Asia, it's not weird to be walking around with a mask. Um, and it's something that uh, I wish more people did, especially when they have cold. So when COVID is over and you have a cold, put on a fucking mask. The same way you would expect somebody else, if you don't want to catch their cold, 
put on a mask. Now that we all know how germs are spread, I mean, it's really disgusting. These microbes. The other day I was watching somebody was flying on Qatar Airways and they had all the flight attendants in like the full PPE get up. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty full on. Premium travel as we know it right now and the interaction with flight attendants, which is something I really enjoy. Um, is is making it a two-way street because so many passengers are just take, take, take. It's a very challenging job. They're on their feet. Uh, I'm a very challenging passenger. And I think in order for me to be able to enjoy the experience, they have to at least pretend to enjoy serving me. Right. And I think that's a really, that's a really tough line, especially, you know, if you're recording, you're taking photos, um, you know, you're a blogger, you're a vlogger. Uh, people get really nervous when you're on board and, and you're, and you're capturing stuff, especially in airlines like Qatar. So my, my feeling about these, these, you know, flight attendants wearing the full PPE and the shields and the face mask, it's re I think it is ridiculous in terms of the passenger experience. Do I think it's ridiculous in terms of safety? I don't know. We don't really know anything about this. This is like the AIDS crisis in the early 80s. We just don't know. We're in the first inning. We don't know the long-term effects. It's crazy. So yeah. look, a, a lot of this is theater. A lot of this is, you know, we had security theater with the TSA missing you know, 95% of, uh, of things, uh, weapons to get on planes. And now we've got flight attendants on top of their uniforms. They got to be uh, draped in, in hefty bags. And, and they're, they're wrapped all up and then they've got the PP and the face shield and the mask and everything else. How are you even going to see if they're frowning or smiling at you? I'm talking to you, United Airlines. <laughs> you know, um, and, and we can get into this some more and we've been bouncing around a little bit. But uh, I think you you touched on it briefly. And of course, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you you kind of pride yourself on being a bit of a difficult passenger if if not a very difficult passenger and seeing how the airlines respond to it is that fair to say you know i think that's fair uh but look uh again i says i said it's give and take so if i'm a difficult passenger i know i'm, I'm more needy than the passenger next to me I fill out one of those forms, you know, uh, you know, one of those surveys. That's some. That's my way of giving back, right? Because you can't just bribe your flight attendant. You right. can't just give them cash. You can't tip them. But I'm, if I'm taking a lot more than the average passenger, which trust me, I am, it takes five minutes to, to you know to fill out a form, and uh, I know that these airlines review it, and especially these these Middle Eastern airlines, they really care about. The customer experience. So I encourage anyone that's you know uh, had a positive experience with the flight attendant or with service on board. It takes five minutes, and they really appreciate it. Yeah. And if you do it early enough in the flight, it's kind of like bribery. Yeah. You know, they're not going. They're never going to say no to you if you've already given them uh, professional kudos. That's going to. It goes on their quarterly review. You know, these flight attendants, they have managers. And uh, quarterly, they, they have performance reviews. And it's like, OK, um, you know, this is good for their files. Yeah, I, I think that's actually that's a pretty interesting tip. I guess if they're particularly concerned about having a rough interaction with flight attendants or if they just want to somewhat ensure that they have a really high quality service that they can go ahead and request one of those forms. Or if you're a difficult passenger, like I'm, I'm very self-aware. OK, like I understand I'm not the average passenger. And so I like to break the ice pretty quickly early in the flight and say, mm -hmm. look, you know, uh, and I don't come out and just say this, but, I, you know, I'm a needy passenger. I'm not going to be sleeping like the guy, um, you know, across the aisle the entire time. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's an Orthodox Jew, so I'll also have his caviar. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's, you know, look, people, uh, you know, for some people flying is uh, a form of transportation. For me, it's the beginning of the destination. The trip for me starts when I enter the lounge. It's not when I land. And I think when you mentioned what's Jew jetting, that's a huge component of it. It's the experience itself. It's being, um, you know, you're an aviation enthusiast as well. Like it's being excited uh, for the flight, not like, oh, shit, I got another 14 hours ahead of me. Uh, and so that's how I know uh, living here in um, the middle of uh, the, you know, the uh, Gulf of Thailand. When, when somebody says, oh, I want to come visit you, how long is the flight? 
I know I don't want that person to come and visit me because they're just <laughs> not on the same level. No, it's it, it's it's such a it's such a giveaway. Like, how long is the flight? It's like what, it doesn't what's matter. The flight? That's, are you, that's are you, part no. of the experience. Are you are you routing through the Atlantic, the Pacific? How are you getting here? It doesn't it doesn't matter. It's part of the experience, and uh, you're just not ready yet. Try again next year. I uh, well, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you on that, and of course. I think people who don't have the interest, don't have the points, don't have the wherewithal to get into the pointy end of the plane uh, could could take issue with that. But I suppose the counter argument would say, you know, we'll figure it out because it's not as hard as some people think. And that's hopefully what I can teach a few people how to do better with this podcast. But I alluded to this in the beginning. And uh, when I mentioned that you're a missile, mi- missile defense system salesman for Raytheon, which, of course, is not exactly true, but that is how uh, some people may be familiar with you because of that Elite Daily video, which I think is how I originally heard about you. And then I've been following you for a very long time. But um, I mean, you certainly employ some pretty dramatic tactics to ensure your experience is top notch across the board, not only on planes, but also in hotels. And I wonder, like, are you starting to get did you get one? Did you get backlash from the hospitality industry for that video and two what are what if any of those strategies are you able to still employ interesting question i think you need to constantly uh reinvent yourself when it comes to any of these strategies when, when it comes to travel hacking uh and i think my philosophy that i explained about how to treat airline employees the same thing comes to hotels. In fact, you're going to have more interaction with people at the front desk, at hotels, especially you have elite status. And it's give and take. I know my profiles are uh, are flagged. Like I'm aware of that. The same way any, uh, any blogger, the same way any, you know, they're flagged. They have notes. These companies are not stupid. They have technology behind it. Uh, they have your preferences. So... You know, I, I think depending on where you are in the world, there's cultural differences. But again, it's it's being nice. It's just the basic principles of of uh, you know attracting more flies with honey, and uh, especially if you're a needy guest like I am, right? I want my extra pillows. I want my extra soap to take home. I want that bottle of wine waiting for me in the room. And I think anyone that didn't have a great hotel experience, who didn't have a great travel experience, I blame them. I don't blame the hotel because people don't ask. They're afraid to ask. It's not the room you're given. It's the room you accept. And I write about this a lot in my book, uh, which is available on Amazon. Don't you know who I think I am? Confessions of a first class asshole. If you haven't read it, I'll send you a copy. But it's, it's taking ownership over your own travel experience. Ask. And, and 90% of the time, you'll be surprised with what you receive. You know, these companies, these, these hotel groups, hospitality in general, they want you to have a positive experience. I would add that I think tone makes a big difference, of course. Um, but I think that's a great, that's a great point. I mean, so many tone, yes, tone and levity, right? It's, it's important to show some hubris. It's important to show some humility. Um, and you know, uh, break the ice with people. I mean, these are mundane jobs. Yeah. A lot of them, right? Handing out hotel keys, it's a boring job. H- hearing people's complaints, it's a boring job. If you have a complaint, I call it the complaint sandwich, okay? This is what I do. I tell them, look, I'm really enjoying my stay. Um, you know, your people are great. This is nothing personal. You guys are awesome. I know I know you've had, you, you have even more difficult guests than me, but this is how you can improve. This is what's not working for me. Oh, and did I mention you guys are great? That's all it takes. Yeah. It's all it takes. From my personal experience, that works in any industry, not just hospitality, by the way, if people are trying to get (laughs) some help um, with pretty much anything, customer service as well. Yeah, except for airlines when you're trying to get your refunds now. So I disagree with that. (laughs) Um, You know, customer service on the phone when I'm not looking at them. Yeah. yeah, You know, sometimes I I have the small talk. But holy shit, have I spent a lot of time just dealing with this. Yeah. Just dealing with the, you know, the cancellation. I mean, look, I kind of feel bad. And, you know, kind of is in parenthesis there because they've laid off two thirds of their staff, 80% of their corporate, Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it's a really crazy time 
to to expect more for from an industry that is just dying. Yeah. And it's it's just it's it's on its last breath. Yeah. Airlines are going to go under. Hotels are going to consolidate. You know, the, the premium travel experience as we know it in is dying. And so it's, you know, it, expectations have been set so high. If you've traveled to Asia and you stay in, uh, you know, in, in chain hotels, it's a night and day experience from the shit you'll get in, in Secaucus. And it doesn't, and, and it certainly sounds like you're pretty bearish on that experience coming back in the same form that it once was in before this COVID experience, uh, even further down the road? Well, that's an understatement, right? So a lot of airlines, a lot of hotels right now, they're using this COVID as a way to cut costs. And I understand that, but let's not pretend for a minute that serving a variety of alcoholic beverages to first class passengers, let's say domestically, I'm talking to you, American Airlines. Let's stop pretending that variety or a prepackaged sandwich in first class is safety. Like that's the bullshit. Like, oh no, we used to, you know, Turkish Airlines too. We used to have 16 wines. Now we have one. Yeah. You know, what are your options? Yes or no? Those are your options. Red or white. It's, that's not a safety thing. And I really don't expect that to bounce back until at least 2021. I think if there was a cure for COVID tomorrow, we'd still see airlines and hotels behaving like this because they can't. Yeah. Lounges are shut down. Uh, you know, the food is not prepared on board. And if it is, it's just like you have to take the wrapping off yourself. It's just not a premium cabin experience. So it's like, why would you even people are saying, oh, I can't wait to travel. I can't wait to travel. I get it. But this is not the greatest time to travel if you value the shit that you and I value. The small details. Uh, I mean, particularly when you're flying up front, I mean, among the I think what most people would consider, let's say, like the 10 best first class experiences. I mean, ultimately, it's not sure there are some differences in design in the seat, but it really comes down to service and the small, the soft product, as they say. Oh, man, it's all soft product, especially when, you know, you live so far away. And I want to I come come back to America about four or five times a year. Not lately, of course, but it's all about uh, for especially long haul flights. You're going to be interacting with these people, these flight attendants. Um, 14, 15 hours you're on the plane. You're from, you're and, from New York, right? You, you, you moved from Manhattan. Yeah. I, I, you know, born and raised in New York. I don't miss it for a minute. I don't miss it for a minute. In fact, I think these New Yorkers have been, I'm one of them. I think anyone that's, that stayed in New York, I think this, uh, this COVID-19 has, um, has people second guessing themselves. You know, why am I staying in my tiny apartment that I'm paying $6,000 a month for and I'm going absolutely berserk? Do you know what you could get for $6,000 in, in Asia? I, Do you, know okay. you get a full-time help. I mean, it's, it's a very different lifestyle. And if you're commuting virtually, it's crazy to me. I'll never understand the notion of people living where they live just because of their citizenship, just because of where their passport says they should live. It's like the, it's like the asshole that never leaves their hometown. It's absurd to me. What do you think it's really, really prevents crazy. people from, from doing that, particularly people who fear. have a passport? Fear. Fear. Absolutely. You know, you, 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 you get outside of your comfort zone and people freak out expatriatism, it's, you know, there are people on this island I might have very little in common with otherwise. They might be French, they might be Italian, German, um, you know, uh, English. They have their own, they have their own shit, right? They have their own, um, essentially languages, right? Especially New Yorkers have their own language, they have their own way of doing things. But the common thread beneath us is we don't want to live in our home countries, we rather wake up to the Gulf of Thailand and like a beautiful, beautiful view. That's what's important. And so there's sacrifices with that. But holy shit, there's sacrifices with living in New York City. Tiny apartment. Where do you live? I live in San Diego, but I'm actually in Portland, Oregon today to see my parents for a day. You know, a, a lot of people I hear, when are you coming home? Mm -hmm. And I, I question that. I, I, I think it's kind of an archaic thing to ask people. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm actually, it's, it's one of the only things that, that kind of offend me. When are you coming home? You know, I, I've got a house here. Uh, I've got my chicks and my girlfriend. We, you know, we've been together almost, almost four years. And I've got, I've got two dogs. I mean, this is my home. This is, I'm not living, I'm not living out of a suitcase unless I'm traveling. So I've, yeah, I'm, I'm very well acclimated here. Uh, I speak the language. I love Thai culture. I love Thai food. I love the Thai people. And um, I'm proud to be an expat that lives in Thailand. And the same wouldn't be true. I mean, I'm, you know, I, uh, my girlfriend's Canadian, Candace. Okay. When, when we're out and in Thailand, the first thing people ask you is, you know, where are you from or what, you know, I, I tell them what, what village I live in mm-hmm. on, on Samui. And they say, no, where are you from, from? Yeah. And I just shrug my shoulders and I say Canada <laughs> because I'm so sick and tired of explaining and coming up with excuses for what's going on. Yeah. People are because of the internet and 10 years ago, this wouldn't be true. They're not glued to CNN. Yeah. They're not glued to Fox news, but they see all this shit on the internet and the perception from, and, and this is, you know, coming from a, a many second world countries or developing nations. The perception is what the fuck is going on with America? Mm. You guys are supposed to have your shit together, right? Your world power, the largest economy in the world. What is going on? And I'm out of excuses and it bums me out. And the last thing I want to do is explain to someone with very limited English yeah. why they're, why, why their targets on fire. Right. You know, I actually was saying that as well for a little while. I that you're Canadian. That I was Canadian. And then I mentioned that on Instagram stories or something. And somebody actually made a pretty good point and they said, you know, shouldn't you as you know, I guess this person viewed me as like a better uh personification of what Americans can be. And they said, shouldn't you say, you know, you are American and try to explain, you know, it's not everybody. Um, which I, I guess I agreed with, but at the same time it's gotten worse and it, it is, like you said, it's difficult to explain to somebody who doesn't speak the language perfectly, um, how bizarre it is. And I will say, I mean, probably three years ago, I still really like, I took some pride in saying I was American, but that's completely changed when I travel now. I feel, feel a little self-conscious. You know, the world is, is a bit polarized. I know, I know our country is completely, I mean, we're on the verge of a political civil war, like nothing we have ever seen. And technology plays a huge part in that, right? And people are, are, are so involved mm-hmm. here. The last thing I wanna do is talk about politics when I'm traveling. And so saying Canada, it's like, it's, it's like our Switzerland, right? It's like they're, they're neutral. Sure. The only time uh, I have an issue with Canada is when I'm fighting with my girlfriend. That's it, okay? And then the maple syrup and I'm sorry jokes come out. But it's uh, no, it, it, it's nothing to be. Look, anyone that's so patriotic that, oh, it's, it's, it's disrespectful to say you're not from your home country. You know, fuck off. You know, the, when somebody asks you, especially if you're traveling Southeast Asia or, you know, or you're in a taxi or, um, you know, you're. They ask you, where are you from? Nine times out of 10, they don't give a shit. They're trying to qualify you. Sure. Why are you giving them information that they don't need to hear? And also America is associated with wealth. Canada, they don't know what the hell that's associated yeah. with. <laughs> but when you hear, oh, oh you know, somebody asks you where, are you, where are you from, America? Okay, this guy's got money. Sure. Why do you put yourself in that situation? What I kind of ended up reverting to was saying I'm from California which enough people seem to think was like its own entity and at least different enough because everybody knows, you know, like the movie stars are from L.A. and all that. I guess that notion has permeated into pretty small towns in various places. But even then, you're still setting yourself up for the the money equation. I'm from California. Have you guys seceded yet? <laughs> if you can't secede, try, try again. I know Texas tried for a while. Look, I, you know, that, that's a thing that the people from flyover states just will never understand. They just don't get it. And um, this is interesting. When you meet people traveling, they're kind of have to be on the same page as you are. Yeah. Statistically, um, it's, it's in your favor as well. Do you know that more than 50% of Americans don't even have passports? Yep. I mean, what does that say about Americana? What does it say about our society? What does that say about imperialism? What does that say about our country? Further than that, of the 50% that do have them, I 
the last time I looked it up, only, something like only 9% of those people actually use them. Right. And so that's why when you meet somebody traveling, you're going to have a lot more in common than, than you might otherwise uh, think you did. And it's so brutal to have tourism cut off right now because you know I just feed off those sorts of interactions and meeting people all over the world. And fortunately, the lack of mixing cultures right now has had an interesting impact as far as nationalism, the rise of nationalism all over the world. We're really getting to a, into a political one here, but... Uh, yeah, how did this happen? <laughs> I, I'm talking to Chuck Scarborough over here. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, fuck all that. But um, you, you're, you're also an entrepreneur. You have your own company called Pretentious Pocket. So how is it to run that from Thailand? It's, that's a company. It's, it's a bit passive income. You know, it runs itself. Uh, anyway, pretentiouspocket.com. We make pockets squares for assholes, you know, really, uh, you know, men don't have cleavage, you know, all we have is lapels and, uh, you know, holes for, uh, in, in sport coats. And that's what the hole in your sport coat is for, right? Um, it's, uh, it's a conversation piece. So, you know, uh, that's, that's one of my businesses and, uh, I do some consulting and, um, you know, uh, I had, uh, I, I have a lot going on. A lot going on. So, you know, it's interesting. People think and they see the photos and they think you're at the beach all day. No, that's actually not what you do. And they say, what do you do when you live on a tropical island? I do the same shit people do in America. Well, I guess without the guns and uh, the school shoes. I do the same shit that people, you know, I I, I go and, uh, you know, we go food shopping. I, I, you know, I I go and, uh, drive around today. We're going, your girlfriend and I were going to the gardening center, or the gardening center. We're, 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 do, we're doing shit. Like we're, we're, we're out, we're doing errands. It's not like we're just in a hotel room. You know, when, when you, when you run a household here, when you have a house, there's shit to be done. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we're not traveling much right now. So what, what sort of things have taken up your time when, uh, in the place of what I'm sure used to be traveling? Great question. I'm drinking a lot. I'm smoking a ton of weed and uh, I'm enjoying it. You know, I'm enjoying these trolls on Facebook, these <laughs> idiots on Instagram. And it's been pretty engaging. But, you know, um, look, I, I'm very fortunate to be where I am. I, you know, I think the word stuck is absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there haven't been any COVID cases in Koh Samui for, for months oh, and, really? in, our, in our province. There haven't been COVID cases for months, but still mm-hmm. everyone's taking precautions with the mask, everything else. Yeah. So, you know, we had lockdown. Lockdown is now ending. Things are starting to open up and it's it's becoming business as usual, except for the fact that there's not many or, you know, tourists on the island. There's almost none because the borders are closed. Sure. But I'm looking forward to a, a true reopening and uh, optimistically, I hope things bounce back as quickly as possible. In normal times, well, actually, selfishly, I, I wonder if maybe it's pretty nice not having any tourists there right now because you're a resident. The roads are empty. The ro- Yeah, exactly. The roads are empty. Um, it's the beaches we have to ourselves. Pollution is down. Plastic isn't littered all over the place. But then again, I live in an island that's, whose economy is 90% reliant on tourism. Sure. So it's really sad. Like People yeah. are out of work. You know, there's no $1,200 stimulus checks being passed right. around over here. I don't know really how to qualify this, but is it a, it's a pretty popular tourist destination, I suppose, if 90% of the island's economy is based on tourism. It's higher end than Phuket. Okay. Right. It's so, you know, it's, it's a more expensive, um, island to get to, um, the airline Bangkok Airways, our hometown airline. One of two airlines that service our airport, which is, I don't know if you've been to Koh one of the most beautiful airports in the world and uh, quite a dichotomy coming from, you know, New York where my hometown airport was LaGuardia. What a piece of shit. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a more expensive airline, you know, our, uh, our local airline owns the airport. So they set the prices. Mm. So it's more expensive to get to than Phuket. I can't recommend people going to Phuket. I think it's just, it, it's so cheesy. Samui is, is spe- and it's not a true island. Mm. And uh, we have better weather. Samui is just paradise. And awesome. uh, as you said before, why do you live there? It really, I kept coming back and I couldn't figure out why I was coming back until I made this my home. And I realized I, I should have done this years ago. I wish I moved here in my early 20s. I really, I really do. 
That's awesome. And uh, how old are you now? I'm 37. I wish I did this a decade ago, 15 years ago. It would have been fantastic. But I went, you know, I, I was, I was, I was dealing with New York and the club scene, and, and you know, and, and the broads and everything else, and and I should have just been, you know, look, travel is. And it's been this way for a while. Travel is the new bottle service, right? With this aspirational traveling and the photos and social media, it's not where, you know, it's not what do you do? It's where have you been? Mm -hmm. At least it is for me. And so I think these aspirational shots of people traveling and especially Instagram stories, all this shit, it's becoming more and more important in people's lives. Yeah. It's not the bottle service anymore, especially after COVID. Holy shit. How are you going to socially distance and make out with a chick in a club? How does that work? How does that work? It seems very difficult, yeah. if not altogether impossible. I don't know, man. This is going to be a crazy uh, wave that we're going to be riding for a while. And I expect this to go on um, for a long time. Like, it wouldn't be crazy to assume that people are going to stop shaking hands. Yeah. Which, when you think about it, it's kind of a disgusting thing. It is kind of disgusting. What's on most it's kind of disgusting. It's kind of the but worst again, thing I, you could do. Yeah, yeah, coughing right in somebody's mouth. But um, yeah, I, I mean, look, I've I've always judged someone by their handshake, so this mm-hmm. is this is a little difficult for me. But no, yeah. I, I think I think handshakes have got to go for a while. Yeah, you know, and in Thailand, we we do the we. You know, we put our hands mm-hmm. together and bow a little bit. It's uh, it's it's kind of weird, um, you know, doing that when I when I come back to New York, walking into a 7-Eleven and doing that. Uh, we, we have a different philosophy here you know, in, in the States. It's no shoes, no shirt, no service in Thailand. No shirt, no shoes. Great service. <laughs> That's awesome. What are your thoughts on whether or not something like a, an immunity passport would allow people to uh, start to travel restriction free? I can't wait. I can't wait. You know, when testing, um, you know, except, except for this shit that this uh, orange pumpkin in the in the White House said, when testing becomes actually widespread and mm-hmm. COVID tests are available to anyone that wants it, I think they should be free. Mm-hmm. I know they're free in other parts of the world. Uh, people are going to be really surprised that they already have the antibodies. Yeah. I think the number is probably of infected people that are asymptomatic, the young people, they're healthy like you and I, I think that uh, more people are going to realize, holy shit, I've got the antibodies for this. Right. And an immunity passport is a great way to do it. I'm I'm so for an immunity passport. But I think what we're going to find before that are travel bubbles. Mm-hmm. I know um, the EU is banning Americans or American passport holders yeah. from visiting. Did you see that shit this week? I did. Yeah, that's pretty wild. I mean, I think the EU should have banned us just based on our behavior and the <laughs> amount of disgusting photos people are taking from Mykonos and how we've overrun uh, European society. That's more and than brought fair. Our, and brought our Walmart McDonald's attitudes with us. But, um, you know, I, I think travel bubbles. I know that um, Thailand has been some talk about creating a travel bubble with Vietnam or other countries that have handled this very well. Mm-hmm. It would be pretty cool. It seems like one of those things where in theory, it's awesome, obviously, but in practice could be quite difficult. I don't know if there's a, if the precedent for that would be sort of like a yellow fever vaccine paper that you bring around with you. So I guess, you know, it's simple enough. I think it would be cool if it's an actual passport, but then it, but then again, passport offices are closed. Yeah. And, you know, actually, more than 50% of Americans don't, don't even want to travel. Right. They don't even give a shit about traveling. I don't, I don't understand, you know, you see these girls and they're like, oh, I travel all over. They go to Vegas, yeah, you know, Los Angeles to Vegas. That's not traveling. It's, re- it's, it's absurd. It's a sorry excuse or something. I don't know really what the best way to classify that sort of a quote unquote travel experience is, but it's like, you want to explain to somebody like, you don't, don't you know what you're missing? You can't explain that to them. They don't understand either you have, oh, this is a terrible way to explain it, but Either you have the bug, right? The travel bug that is, or you don't. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that's what divides us in terms of sophistication. Mm -hmm. I think worldly people, regardless of of creed, regardless of education, have have that component. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think the only way to learn a lot about societies and to even learn a lot about yourself is to travel. And I encourage people listening to this right now, 
you know, you might have a friend. Oh no, let let's go to Mexico. I I don't want to go to to Asia. I don't want to go to South America. I don't want to go to Europe. Let's just go to Mexico. Anyone going to Mexico? They're not going to Mexico. They're going to their hotel. Yeah. Because you don't leave the resort. Yep. The only time you experience Mexico is the van ride from the airport to the hotel, and it's absurd. That's not traveling. It just isn't. Nope. Traveling is getting your hands dirty. The Cabo experience. Cabo. You see more Americans than, uh, than oh, Mexicans. And, 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 and these people going to Tulum. It's just, it's absurd. It's absurd. Get out of your comfort zone. Travel alone too. Shit. If you're not locked down, you're not committed, travel alone. It's the greatest way to figure out who the hell you are. What would you suggest people do now to like position themselves as best as possible to travel when this is over? I, I don't know. Like for me personally, I have more miles than I've ever had, you know, obviously not spending them on anything. And um, unfortunately it's looking like there may be fewer and fewer great opportunities to spend them. But um, I don't know. What would you recommend people do? Airlines and hotels, they're printing money right now, right? So they're, what happens when a government or a country or an institution or a corporation prints money, right? It's massive inflation. So they're selling miles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mileage programs are often the most successful margins and most successful profit makers for uh, for a lot of airlines, um, and to to a better extent, loyalty programs are very successful um, for a hotel's bottom line. Mm-hmm. But what would I encourage people to do? Burn your miles as quickly. They're not going to gain. It, it's not Bitcoin. It's not going to. It's not a digital currency that's going mm-hmm. to increase in value. It will always mm-hmm. decrease in value. Use them. And I'm like you, I'm yeah. trigger happy. I'm so excited just to get out and, and start booking travel. But then again, it's ridiculous to do so right now, mm-hmm. unless you're booking 11 months out. And so that's what I've been doing. Yeah, I guess I know it's like you would like to think 11 months out would be safe, but I, I mean, personally, I, are, I haven't done it. And people are afraid, right? People are afraid because they don't know uncertainty. You know, if you're anything like me, uncertainty kills me. It kills me. Yep. I have a certain way I like to do things and planning travel is, is part of the fun, but not knowing, you know, uh, they haven't canceled flights 11 months out. Airlines are going to be switching equipment. You know, I know that's important to, to guys like you and me. Yeah. And, uh, and routes are going to be slashed. So like, there's a lot of unknowns. And so that's what, that's, what's making people, I know me, especially making me a little anxious. I, somebody the other day asked me, they're like, I've got a couple hundred thousand miles. Should I just cash them in and get some AirPods? And my initial knee-jerk reaction was like, hell no, because you could get so much more value booking a ticket. But what would you say to somebody who's in that quandary right now? I'd say if they're contemplating that, they didn't know how to use their points and miles in the first place, right? So look, if, if people, if everyone traveled the way that I travel or the way that you travel, these planes would not get off the ground. Mm-hmm. It's not sustainable, right? So, you know, most people, they're booking anytime awards. They're, they're, they just don't understand the, the, the inherent value of what these points and miles, the overwhelming majority of people don't know you can use your points and miles on other airlines. That blows my mind. Also, there was a statistic that more than 50% of airline passengers, they don't even have an FFP, a frequent flyer uh, program number on their boarding pass. Like they're not even collecting miles. So I want to thank them right now because Mm -hmm. they're subsidizing the cost of your travel and my travel. These are marketing programs that are on the balance sheets and in the annual report of these Fortune 500 companies and these airlines and these hotels. By you not using your points and miles properly, I benefit so thank you so much. And I hope that you remain a- ignorant. Yeah, I shout really out to any of those ignorant. people. Well, yeah, they wouldn't be listening to this in the first place. <laughs> very true. <laughs> we're very eclectic. We're a very eclectic breed. What, uh, that's what, are, what are some of the most bizarre uh, perks and amenities, uh, the creature comforts, if you will, that you miss the most from the premium cabin experience? Oh, man. You know, the warm nuts, the unlimited free flow champagne. You know, when you're in club lounges, you, you might have that, especially in Asia, mm-hmm. you know, but it's limited typically to two or three hours. 
where right. it was a flight. Like I, one of my best experiences is I was flying back. Uh, I, I love Japan Airlines. I, I love ANA. I love Japanese culture, right? Japan's one of my favorite You've countries. You've flown like m- pretty much the all the Asian carriers in first class, it seems like. Yeah, you you can compare them all. There's not one that I've missed. Yeah. Nice. And so which one stands but above the rest? I, I, I think it comes down to genuine hospitality, right? We talked mm-hmm. about soft products. For me, that's that's actually more important than the hard product. Um, and the Japanese don't cut corners and mm-hmm. their service id, like their, their service is inherently warm. It's inherently just, they're, they're not faking it. Come on. And you can tell when, when, when someone's faking it. Right. So it, it's, 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 it's genuine. It's just real. It's just real to me. And the bow is real. And they're just not going to the galley and talking shit about you. Yeah. And when I'm flying Emirates, I just don't know that to be the case. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I've actually never flown Emirates, which is like a major gaffe in my uh, airline resume. But, um, you know, I hear I hear like mixed things on the service. It's super it's inconsistent. Well, look, uh, when you have an airline that has, you know, staff from 50, 70 different countries around the world, you're not going to get a, a, um, regardless of training, right? You're just not going to have the most consistent experience. That's a great point. When you hire the best of the best in Japanese service in hospitality, it's going to blow you away. Yeah. It's just the, the kindness, the caring. Like I'll remember, I remember the last flight I took, um, the last long haul I, I took from JFK to Tokyo, flying in JAL first class. The flight, they, the flight attendants saw I was, I was, I was drinking a lot. They, they know I'm drinking a lot. Mm-hmm. They know I'm there for the experience. They're not cutting you off. You know, it's, um, they, they want to make you happy. The one thing they said at the end is, oh, Mr. Lee, and they, and they knelt down to say this because it's always at eye level yeah. because talking to, above you is rude, yep. right? Uh, especially in first class. So they knelt down at eye level and they said, Mr. Lee, um, we're worried that um, they're going to take your temperature when you get on the ground and that, you know, just they get, they brought me a cool towel on landing and said, Mr. Lee, just put this on your head. So you're not resonating. So, so you're not going to register a higher temperature. And so you're not pulled aside as COVID possible, uh, positive. And that's the type of thing that they're on your side. They want you to have a great experience. Yeah. And if your airline doesn't, doesn't scream that you should be flying a different airline. Mm-hmm. Don't fly American carriers. Like just don't do it because mm-hmm. no one, you know, even a great experience on an American carrier, it's not the same as a cultural experience on a country you might be flying to. That's very true. I think when you get on the plane or even when you get to the lounge, that is that that is for me, that's the start of the journey. And particularly when you're flying with a, an international airline, um, you start to get a taste for that culture the second you get to the, I mean, really even the check-in counter sometimes, but, um, it's really cool to, to have that experience and also just to see how different airlines and different cultures approach that service. Cause it, it can really be differentiated and really special. Oh man, it, it, it's awesome. Um, and you know, I hate traveling domestically in the States. I actually haven't flown domestically in America in over four years. To <laughs> Congratulations. Get- no, so- yeah, I know. Right. Uh, everything's just, uh, gone on the chopping block there, but I've flown from New York to Los Angeles via Tokyo. So like (laughs) anything I can do, literally I've done it. Anything I can do to not have to fly domestically in America. And this is, this is well before COVID. That's a, that's a bold move, but I don't blame you. Come on, man. It's a sport. Travel is an absolute sport. And though, and, and, and he or she with the most amount of toys and miles win. They just do. How did you book those JL first class tickets? What was your route there? I think it was um, Alaska. Yeah, that's probably one of the but best. But now that they're printing miles, now that they're printing miles, who the hell knows what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's going to take a nosedive. Um, you know, these these value these valuations of these points and miles, th- those are not fixed numbers. Right. Right. When you when you continue to print money, the money's worth less. Have you flown the new ANA first class? I have not because my flights have been canceled. Yeah. So like I was supposed to have flown it in May um, and it looks like an incredible product. But then again, for me, it's all about the ANA soft product. ANA is one of my favorite airlines. Mm-hmm. I'd say they're they're top three. 
Mm-hmm. Were you able to fly straight to Tokyo from Kosamui? No. So my route is, I, you know, it's, it's so funny. My girlfriend, she flies home. She wants the easiest way. Mm-hmm. She's from uh, Canada. So she'll fly Samui, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Toronto. For me, I fly Samui, Hong Kong, spend a couple nights in Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Tokyo, spend a few nights in Tokyo, get my sodium fix, <laughs> and then Tokyo, JFK. That's my route home. And, uh, you know, it, it takes me four or five days to get home. But after four or five days in America, I'm ready to go back. I, I don't get many bows in America. It's a terrible experience. Terrible experience. Ter- uh, terrible. Justin, are you, a, are you a mile high guy? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In the seat. Literally in the seat. Kathy Pacific in the seat. You know, you can have two people in the seat there. It's That's wide huge, enough. It's a huge wide seat. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a little ballsy, pun intended, uh, considering the fact that the service is so great. <laughs> they Not just in, in the seat. But, yeah, they, they check in. On, they, check it, they check in on me, right? So they, they want to know how I'm doing, how much longer it's going to take. <laughs> Are you? A- <laughs> I told, I, and I tell these flight attendants, I say, look, you know, I'll, uh, I'll ask you for the, for the hot towel. I'll press the button when I'm done. <laughs> easy come, easy go. <laughs> well, I got quite an answer to that question. Thank you for that. What I tell you before this, you sent me this guy sends me these, this like pre-interview questionnaire. Like I'm filling out like all the all these questions and answers. Very professional. Very professional. I thought we were just going to get on here and wing it. Finally, we're providing some real value to the listeners here. Jesus Christ. I'd say so. Well, hey, we've kind of gotten into it a little bit. But if you want to just summarize, what impact has travel had on you? And beyond that, what impact do you think it has on, on the world? Travel's impact on the world has been a, a, a global notion of understanding, right? So you see what's going on in protests. This used to be an American problem, and now it's a global problem, racism, imperialism. Travel is one thing, and probably the only thing, that brings people together. And you realize that human beings are human beings. One of the issues that a lot of people around the world have is a lack of empathy. So you'll see in Indonesia, uh, you know, a, um, a volcano erupted and 10,000 people are displaced from their village or town and hundreds or thousands of people have died. No one really gives a shit about that. And the reason is because it's far away. If a grocery store burnt down in your hometown, you would care more about, people care more about that. The further away you are from a crisis, the less shits you give. And I think travel is one way to reverse that very toxic way of thinking. That's Justin Ross Lee. You can find him on Instagram at Justin Ross Lee or relaxing on the beaches of Koh Samui, Thailand. If you enjoyed the show, it would mean a lot if you'd leave a review or share it with someone who might find it interesting. This actually helps me out a lot. Feel free to reach out to me on social with any questions or comments about the show. Once again, I'm your host, Ian Agrimis, wishing you smooth travels. Peace.